Up next, we're going to talk about grass on the Handy Guys podcast. Welcome to the Handy Guys podcast, a podcast for handy guys from handy guys. Here are the handy guys themselves, Brian and Paul. So, Brian, I want to talk about on this episode about planting grass, which isn't all that difficult. But there's some topics we need to cover, such as when to plant it, where to plant it, how do you select the variety of seed, and how to have the most success getting it started and allowing it to grow. Absolutely, Paul. I think the part that people mess up the most is that third aspect is how to, you know, the care and feeding of your grass to get it established. That's where most people go wrong. Okay. So we'll talk about that. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Just go to handyguyspodcast.com. You can contact us on our website. Um, We're always posting new things, although more recently it's been less frequently, and it's not because we're not busy. We've actually been busy creating video content for folks. Um, But you can also uh, try to reach us on Twitter if you'd like. You can send us a uh, at handyguys on Twitter, and you can send us a message if you can keep it short enough. We'll be happy to respond. All right, so Brian... I'm going to talk about this topic because this spring I had a patch in my side yard that I had to plant. Now, I had had a conundrum, though. So I had a dirt patch that was – I had a garden there last year, which I ended up moving. So I had an area right in the middle of the yard I wanted to plant. Normally, I like to plant grass in the fall, but I didn't want to wait all summer and just let weeds take over that area. I wanted to do it in the spring. Okay. Right. Usually it's the fall is the best time. If anyone asks me when to plant grass seed, I say do it in the fall, you know, right around Labor Day. And we'll talk about, yeah, exactly. That's when I, at least in the Northeast, Labor Day is the best time uh, to do it. And let's talk about why that is. There's several reasons I can think of. First reason is that I think that the weeds are the most aggressive in the spring and summer, especially when things get hot. You obviously don't want to try to grow grass when it's 90, 100 degrees because grass goes dormant then. But uh, even in the spring, it seems like you're competing a lot more with the weeds than you are in the fall. In my Absolutely. Opinion. And the other time, the other reason why the fall is good is because it, not only is it not so hot, but you f- tend to get more rain in the fall or the spring uh, versus the summertime. Absolutely. And watering, as we know, is very, very important for growing grass. Sure. And so if you're going to grow grass in the spring, you need to do it early enough before it gets too hot. And we're, we're of course, talking about northern climates that are four-season, where you have cooler springs. I mean, some areas, I suppose, if you go real far north, you could probably grow grass into June. Um, but around here in Pennsylvania, once you hit mid-June, it can get pretty hot, even early June. Your best bet is to do it in April, into May maybe. But you're competing with the weeds. And there's one other big problem with planting grass in the spring. You know, people screw this up all the time. When you go to the home center and you buy the, you know, the three or four step, five step fertilizing program, and it's got the one that says uh, early spring or late spring, early summer, the early spring fertilizer weed and feed products have something called a pre-emergent weed killer in it and what that means paul is that you will not it keeps 
weeds that grow from seeds from germinating. But the downside is it also keeps grass seed from growing. So you don't want to, if it says, you know, keeps crabgrass, prevents crabgrass, things like that, it's also going to prevent new grass seed from growing. Right. So don't use that. You're absolutely right, Brian. And in fact, I knew that this was the case when I went out this spring and I applied. I wanted to apply my pre-emergence and my, um, my fertilizer because I we have problems with crabgrass around here and you need a pre-emergent and you need to get it applied uh, around the time when the forsythias bloom. <laughs> so you're looking at late right. March, depending on our weather. And so I applied it, but I wanted to plant grass anyway. So I was very careful to plant, you know, I had a nice eight by eight square or four by four square, I think it was, right in the middle of the yard I had to plant. And I tried not to put fertilizer anywhere within a foot or two of that area but inevitably, if you get a lot of rain, which we did, some of that pre-emergence is going to get washed into the area. And so interestingly enough, we're now in the early summer, we're in June now, and that grass has grown fairly well, but around the edges, a couple inches in around uh, the top side of the hill area that it's on, it's, it's not growing. It didn't grow. <laughs> so it was very clear that some of it did wash into it and kept it from growing. Right. Well, that's that's exactly what a pre-emergent that's part of the, the weed preventative mix in that fertilizer is supposed to do. It keeps that grass from germinating. And that sounds like exactly what happened to you. So it's hard to keep those kind of things separate. But all of that pre-emergent will be sort of out of the system by the fall. So you can use a pre-emergent weed preventative in the spring and still plant grass seed in the fall. Yeah, so exactly. And that's what I normally plan to do. And, and we apologize. Brian is breaking up just a little bit. He's re in remote, calling in remotely tonight. So uh, his sound isn't as, as good as it usually is. But um, so, yeah, but I had to do it. Now, what's interesting, Brian, is, the, you know, the home centers do, their, do well in the spring. They sell probably their, most of their fertilizers. And, and everyone wants to get out to do their spring cleanup, to do their planning, to do their yard work. Well, you know, you, it's, you get out finally from the cold winter, and it just seems to be when people probably plant most of their grass. But if you can be patient and wait to the fall, you'll probably get your best results. So. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting. I went and visited Pennington Seeds uh, R&D facility in Oregon. Oh, yeah. And they were showing some market data as far as when they sell more grass seed. And the biggest time for them is in the spring. Versus the fall, hmm. even though they concede and agree that fall is the best time to plant that grass seed, they sell the most of it in the spring. Okay. And I, I think that's, like you said, people want to clean up their yard. They're doing that spring spruce up. They're trying to get that quick green. And I think people put a lot of grass seed down that goes to waste because they also apply it with the incorrect sort of weed killer uh, fertilizer blend. Okay, so let's talk about varieties. Because when you go to plant grass, you go down the grass aisle at your, your home center, grass seed aisle, and there's a lot of different varieties. There's some uh, mixes, so they have several varieties in a bag. You'll find some bags of a singular or almost all of one variety. How do you make a, a what, how do you kind of choose the type of grass seed that you ought to plant? Well, that. <coughs> That was really interesting when I was visiting Pennington. They actually ship their grass seeds 
to different markets. They have different blends depending on where it's going. And they even have a Pennsylvania mix hmm. that they make. But most areas, they'll have sort of your northeast mix, your southeast mix, your mid-Atlantic mix, your, your, your southern mix. And those are tailored for the particular marketplace. So you can be pretty uh, confident that when you go to the home center, that the grass seed that they're going to sell, at least if it's the Pennington brand, and I would assume some of the other big brands do this as well, that what they're selling there is going to be appropriate for your marketplace. Now, what you also want to determine is whether the variety is good for sun, is good for shade, uh, will work in different environments, right? and okay. kind of what kind of grass you want to grow. So around here, we have uh, Kentucky bluegrass is is one variety and we have different fescue varieties and they all kind of grow and spread differently uh, and all of those are usually in the mixes. Okay, so if I go to my home center, what you're saying is that in, in, a, in a way they've already been pre-selected for me and for my region and my zone uh, climate. So I can go in there being pretty assured that I'm going to get uh, grass seed that will work. The question is, is do I get, um, I guess a mix seems to be the way to go from a lot of things I've read, because they, um, if you don't just focus on one variety but put in a little bit of a mix, you're going to be able to fend off disease and drought a little better. That's right. And also, different varieties have different what they call germination periods. In other words, your Kentucky bluegrass can take uh, 20 or 30 days before it starts to sprout, and people want instant gratification. So there's a perennial ryegrass that comes in very quickly right. and will keep the soil from eroding and you'll start to get those blades of grass that'll sort of shade and and help the longer germinating grasses get established. Right. So a bluegrass, for instance, is a longer germinating grass. And if you get a mix or if you get, you know, a bag that's only bluegrass, you better be prepared to be watering that for what, six to eight weeks or something and hope that you don't uh, at least, yes. Even longer, yes. right? I know you can... Um, you're going to want to want to keep it watered. You'll follow the instructions on the bag, but you're going to want to keep it watered until it's well-established and, right. and can tolerate a, a dormant cycle uh, with limited water. So I know some people... I remember someone that really wanted bluegrass, and they uh, pre-germinated it in uh, using, a, I think, a stocking and water. You could pre-germinate it indoors before they even planted it. But it took a lot of care to get that bluegrass going if, if you really wanted to focus on that one variety. And then not only is it more difficult to get it started, but then you're, again, you're at risk of a disease that may penetrate that particular species. Whereas if you sure. have a mixture, but the, you know. But the one thing that's nice, there's two basic kinds of grass seeds and that there's one they call it a bunch grass, mm -hmm. where it it uh, like, it only grows from the way I understand it. And someone call in and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it, a bunch grass, like a fescue, yeah, only germinates from seed, whereas a Kentucky uh, bluegrass is a it spreads through um, a spreading root system and then will grow new. Um, uh, Gosh, I don't remember from all the scientists I talked to out there at Pennington, but it, it grow, the roots will spread and it'll grow. So it, it's actually a more hardy grass long term. 
Right. And it looks nicer long-term, but it, it is a little harder to get established initially. So if you have a, a mixture, then you have also the ability to, some of those species will spread out and therefore fill gaps maybe better. Um, yeah. And we're, yes, absolutely. So each species, in a, you know, they've, They've actually put a lot of thought into their mixes, in other words. When you go buy a mix, they, it's not just them throwing in all these grass seeds just to fill a bag, but they've probably put it into some thought. To, these are complementary mixes. They're going to do different things and help you, you know, have a better lawn. Not only that, but in their premium, at, at least in the Pennington lines, in their premium grass seed um, seeds, mm-hmm. they actually go through a selective breeding process. It's really, really interesting where they'll, they'll go out and they'll plant a particular kind of seed and then harvest the seed, um, the, best, the best one. So they'll look for the best color, the best roots, the best um, hardiness, and then they'll do a whole field of those. And then they'll do that process again. They'll look for the best color and the best hardiness and the best roots, and then they'll do that over several years until they have a variety, a particular kind of um, seed that they've selectively bred. And then that's the one eventually they'll provide to the growers to put into their premium product. So it takes years and years to develop it. And they showed us in these uh, clear plastic tubes where they grow these different test plots, those roots are going down 24 or more inches. It's amazing. So they're How selecting the their roots, grass seed roots go down. Wow. And that really helps a lot with drought tolerance. Right. So, so they don't need to provide as much water ongoing once it's established. Okay. So they're, they're selecting the grasses for, I guess, various traits. One of them you, you just mentioned is the, the drought tolerance. So the ones that have the deeper roots. And I assume they're selecting grasses on color and grasses on, you know, longevity or, or grasses that spread and that kind of thing. So. So what are the right, other are those right. the kind of traits they're looking for? Yeah, essentially they're looking for something that's going to look nice and be long lasting and drought tolerance. Okay, drought tolerant. That's what they're looking for. So basically, if I go in to my home center and look for, say, a premium bag of uh, Pennington seed or something like that. They've done the homework for me. I can't outthink them. I, I've known people like, oh, I only want one particular variety or something else, but maybe you're better off leaving it. <laughs> you know, that they've actually well thought this. I didn't, I never, that never occurred to me until you told me that because I just thought those mixture bags were, you know, they, they took, they filled up with what they had this year, <laughs> uh, you know. In, yeah, no, blend them. It's very specific um, science that goes into it. There's this whole science consortium that they have out there. Uh, that uh, you know they've got the the folks in the in the lab coats and and they they look under microscopes and they're counting seed counts and coming up with the appropriate blends okay and making sure there's no weed seeds in it and and all kinds of stuff um, uh, it's quite a process all right up next I want to talk about the fertilizing part of caring for grass got a project on your honeydew list. Let the handy guys know about it, and they may talk about it on their next podcast. All right, Brian, I want to know, I, I know a lot about fertilizer. We've talked about fertilizer in the past, and mm-hmm. fertilizer, you know, you're, you 
add nitrogen to make it greener and yet and there's weed killer and there's pesticides and there's herbicides and all this but wouldn't we live in a better world if we just use less of it <laughs> i mean <laughs> well, seriously I i'm not even the points of having a grass that requires less maintenance deeper root systems uh will not require as much water and as much fertilizer and they're going to look better longer but yes uh your fertilizer you've got your three components your nitrogen your phosphorus and your potassium right, right. those are the three basic nutrients that plants need now, a lot of the fertilizers today don't have the um the phosphorus in it because that tends to run off and there's issues with causing algae blooms and right. choking fish out if that gets into waterways but um so there are natural fertilizers or you just go without well i mean you know my concern is, isn't even necessary well it's partly from an environmental perspective but partly just from common sense um it seems as though everyone is putting a lot more fertilizer on their lawns than they were even 20 30 40 years ago it's sort of a competitive thing and uh, to keep yep. your, your, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, in your lawn. And somehow that can't be good ultimately because that's running off somewhere. And uh, I'm not even as much concerned. Well, I'm concerned about the ingredients you mentioned, and, but also you know, the added pesticides and herbicides. And I don't know that, you know, it's kind of like we're part of a grand experiment to see what will happen. <laughs> you know, no one, we don't really know what, what's, how that's going to affect the, the environment completely. Right. And grasses are naturally, you know, they'll, they'll survive. They'll right. survive that, you know, weeks upon weeks where it's 90, 100 degrees with no rain. They'll go dormant. Right. They'll look brown, but they'll survive that. You're right, not going to, you know, get to the fall next spring and have no grass. It's just not the way it works. Now people are constantly watering and adding fertilizer, where they, and then they're also mowing more. Right. So if you just let the grass do its thing, what it wants to do, maybe you're not going to have that golf course green lawn all summer long, but you're going to have a healthy lawn. Right. And it's going to, it's going to do its thing and and uh and it's less work for you the more fertilizer you put down the more you're mowing and the less time you have to do other fun stuff on the weekends <laughs> but you still should aerate you still should mow when it's growing fast in the spring keep up with the mowing um so that's, that's it, and just try to keep down how much fertilizer you use and let it go dormant. Don't try – you know, I've, no, I've had a, known a couple people that try to keep it green when it's 100 degrees for several weeks. And in both cases, they burn out their lawn completely. <laughs> you don't want a fertilizer. You need to right. allow it to go dormant when it's hot, you know. so Yeah, when, if you have a brown lawn and it's been really hot for a couple of weeks, you, the last thing you want to do is go put nitrogen on it. Exactly. Because that's just going to exacerbate the problem. So would the people at Pennington concur that uh, you water it well, but water it, water, not water it too often so that the, it allows the grass, the roots to go deeper and that sort of thing? That's right. And, and that's really obvious when you look at these new varieties of grasses in, in their premium grass seed and how deep those roots go. You want that water to get down deep in the soil, and it's not going to evaporate that way. And the plants like it. If you water just a little teeny bit every day, 
you're not going to get water down to the roots. Then you're going to have a shallow root system, and the plants are going to, going to not be as healthy that way. All right. Um, does Pennington make grass that'll hold up to kids running on it constantly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure they do. Uh, I would say, you know, at first, you know, before I visited their, their R&D facilities, I was skeptical about the premium grass seed versus the generic grass seed. I'm like, they're all grass seed. They're going to have, you know, your creeping red fescue or your, you know, or your Kentucky bluegrass or whatever varieties right. that everybody knows. But seeing the engineering that goes into the premium grass seeds, that's the only way to go. Because why spend $20 on a bag of grass seed and have, you know, mixed results or poor results versus spending 30 or $40 on a bag of grass seed and knowing you're get a, getting a premium product that was engineered to do well in your particular environment. Okay. So I think they're doing the right thing out there. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that information. Um, I wanted to talk about, I've been meaning to talk about grass planting. And uh, we know we get a lot of people searching our site on, at various times of the year, look researching different topics. And one of them is growing grass and landscaping and that sort of thing. So it was nice that you were able to get out. And uh, thanks to Pennington for having Brian out to visit their R&D facility and actually see how I, it's all done. Just Along with this, uh, in in the show notes, I'm going to put some pictures. Uh, when I was out there, I actually planted some grass, mm -hmm. and then they were kind enough to to water it for me. And I have a 30 day, uh, you know, half a dozen pictures showing the progression over 30 days, and you can see, you know, the difference between obviously day one and day uh, 49 in this case, and what what it looked like. So. So, uh, it's good stuff. And so you know, and Brian, that too. Uh, just so you know, uh, the grass I planted this spring, and it was, I think, right around the time that you went into Pennington, uh, I did go out and buy Pennington. Uh, they, it wasn't given to me or anything. I bought their grass, and that's what I used, and it, it worked great, except for, like I said, around the edges, but it was because of the pre-emergence, but it, it came in really nice. So it was worth it. All right. Well, take some pictures of that, and we'll post that up on the uh, All right. On the site with the show notes as well. All right. Well, thanks for calling in today, Brian, and talking to us about your trip to Pennington. And hopefully uh, our listeners learned a little bit about planting grass. Great. Thanks. All right, See y'all. The Handy Guys will be back next week. Same handy time, same handy website.